Welcome to Racing Girls Rock podcast presented by the Women's Motorsports Network. I'm Melinda Russell, the founder and CEO. I also founded the International Women's Motorsports Association and the Women's Motorsports Network News online magazine. Today's episode is brought to you by our official travel planner, Brittany Heisinger. Brittany specializes in Disney trips, but can book any trip anywhere you want to go from Hawaii to Houston, Alaska to Australia, or anywhere in between. Last year, she helped over 100 families plan magical vacations to Universal Studios, Disneyland and Disney World, Mount Rushmore, Las Vegas, Cabo, Hawaii, Aruba, and Iceland, to name a few. In just her first year since joining the Smart Moms Travel Group, she's won the Rising Star Award, the Top Paid Agent Award, and won a rewards trip. She hit her sales goal, joined Team Fantasyland at her agency, became a Walt Disney World pass holder and magic key holder, and more importantly, has made lifelong friends. You can connect to Brittany on this Instagram at travelwithzing or give her a call at 602-291-5144. Check out the show notes for more information and tell her Melinda sent you. And now it's time for this week's show. different vehicles between us. So um, we're, neither one of us is stopping the other from getting more cars. We were just talking about what we need next. Um, so it's a problem. And then we also have three dogs. We're not gonna get any more dogs um, yet. Maybe a cat, I don't know. Um, but uh, so that's sort of the, that's the base from where I operate. And then I travel a lot to write stories and talk to people about cars, which is similar to what you're doing. Absolutely. We both, we both have that in common, don't we? And so um, tell me, how did you get interested then in cars? Um, usually when I talk to women, it's the dad who got the daughters interested in cars, but not always. Sometimes uh, it's the mom. So how did you get interested in cars? I hear that a lot too. The, the got interested in cars through a car family is probably the most common way to, to do it. It kind of gets passed down. Um, I did not grow up in a car family. In fact, currently every single member of my family uh, drives a Prius um, and only when they have to. So um, there were, there were no, um, there were no hot rodders in my family and um, I didn't actually learn how to drive at all until I was 21. Um, cause nobody, nobody at home wanted to drive. And so they were really reluctant to, to teach and not excited about it. So I sort of was a little bit afraid of it myself. And, uh, when I was at college, I, I had some friends who were interested in cars, classic cars. And I was like, that's so cool. They look so cool. They smell good. I, I, you're so neat when you're driving one. And, um, and so I bought a 1973 Plymouth Duster, um, with the help of a, of my neighbor, because I couldn't even test drive them. I mean, I, I, not only did I not have a license, I literally did not know how to drive. I'd never done go-karts or mini bikes or anything like that. So uh, he helped me buy a car and then my roommate would help me move it on street cleaning day because I, I didn't know how to park, you know? <laughs> and, um, and so between the two of them, they helped me learn how to drive. And then I went and got my license and kind of just took off from there, like one of those late bloomer, this is what I've been missing things. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, um, it's funny how things go in cycles. So, you know, when you were young, 
and you're younger than I, but when you were young, you were not interested in getting your driver's license. And, and then, you know, when I was 16, that's the only thing you could think about was getting your driver's license. Okay. I lived in the country though. I grew up in West central Illinois. So if you wanted to go anywhere, you about had to drive. But nowadays kids are not as quick to get their driver's licenses again. So that's kind of gone full circle where, um, you know, I think kids can Uber and they can do all these different things that we didn't have the opportunity for. And so a lot of the younger kids that I know talk about, um, they might even race, but they might not have their driver's license. Really? That's wild. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, and you know, um, insurance people- is so, so expensive for their parents and everything. And I think it's just something that that has come full circle. So it's interesting that you were older when you got your driver's license. Yeah, uh, what you were saying about insurance, for sure. I mean, the costs of everything associated with driving are so much more than even when I was learning how to drive. Um, you know, but it's interesting that you say that you talk to people who are racing but not driving on the street because you know I have heard theories of automotive that that sort of say as we move towards an autonomous electric future. Um, kind of cars for fun are going to be more like horses like people people keep them on car ranches and they they do motorsports with them but they don't drive them on the streets so maybe that's the generation that's going to make that that change and be less upset about it I'd be sad I love driving <laughs> I would be sad because for me I I just if I decide I want to get up and go I just go in the car you know <laughs> and so I don't want to be limited <laughs> but um <laughs> It's interesting. It's going to be interesting to see where that goes. And also, you know, of course, NASCAR is talking down the road about maybe having some electric cars. And wow, that's really raised a lot of controversy because people say, well, then I can't, we won't be able to hear the sound of the motors and all this. So, uh, well, it'd be interesting to see where that goes. But um, so tell me a little bit about what you do now and how did you get to the role that you're in? Oh, it's such a long and twisty story. Um, I am a senior features editor at Car and Driver magazine now, which is a lot of fun. Um, I've been writing about cars now for um, just about 10 years. Uh, Before that, I was doing automotive PR. So I guess I've been writing about cars for maybe 15 years. Um, And I started, I'd always wanted to write for the magazines. Like as soon as I got interested in cars, before I'd even bought a car, I was reading um, Carcraft I really liked because it was kind of very accessible and um, it was a lot about fixing a car and I, I thought that was so interesting. That was kind of the thing that I was excited about first. I, I even considered, oh, maybe I'd be interested in being a mechanic. Um, and as I started to learn more and do more, I realized, well, I like working on cars, but what I really like is talking to people who are working on cars about things that are just way beyond the skill set that I that I have you know I mean it's one thing to be able to change a starter it's another thing to be able to build a racing engine or do body work to make a custom car paint that kind of thing so I I just thought that was fascinating and um, you know so I started reading like Hot Rod magazine all these magazines about custom cars and collector cars and uh, I, I just thought oh this is the best job they get to be around all these cars and car culture um, every day is something different and, you know, 
they're sort of welcomed in. Everybody's always happy to see you when you're when you're writing a story about their art, right? You know, right. it's not it's not like investigative journalism where you're trying to like do a gotcha. You're just helping people celebrate something that they want to share anyway. Exactly. I just I loved that, um, and I loved getting to talk to race car drivers. And, you know, I mean, I was getting to meet my heroes, you know, I, I remember getting to talk to Shirley Muldowney, you know, pretty early on in, uh, in writing about cars and just being like, watch this movie, you know, like, I, I can't believe I'm talking to you. So, um, but, you know, it took a while to get there. You know, it, there, there were probably 10 years between when I thought I would like to write about cars and when I actually got offered um, the job at, at Hot Rod. Uh, and that was all David Freiberger, who was he was the editor in chief at the time. Uh, he does a video show now called Roadkill, but he uh, he really gave me a chance when nobody else would even answer my emails. So I I will never never not be grateful to him for that. And then since then, of course, I've had wonderful opportunities with a lot of other editors, including now getting to be a car and driver. Exactly. So tell me some of the people that you've interviewed that people would know. I mean, I know there's tons of them, but maybe <laughs> give me your top five or who. Oh my gosh, the top five. Um, all right. Well, um, I, I did a lot of work with the drag racer, Don Prudhomme. Um, we wrote a book together, a book about his life, which was really exciting to, to be able to do that. Um, and I, got to go to England to go drag racing with Roland Leong. Um, uh, I wrote a feature about Shirley Muldowney. Um, I went fishing with Bobby Allison. Um, he's very good at fishing. I'm very bad at fishing. I'm so bad at fishing that he gave up trying to teach me. <laughs> um, and uh, um, oh, we're at four now. Gosh, it's so hard. I should pick a, I should pick a modern one, right? Um, I I did a story where I got to visit um, Rhiannon Gelsomino, who is a rally co-driver, um, and she and her husband—they're both rally co-drivers. They're the only like married professional co-driver couple I think in the world, and um, they do a school to teach people to be rally co-drivers. And I got to visit her, um, and that was really really fun. She's wonderful, and. I very much recommend checking out what she does. It's just an incredible thing, the, the co-driving. Yeah, so she's somebody I'm going to have to check out and get on my podcast. And then, you know, it's one thing to obviously live with your spouse, but we know that sometimes when we travel, it doesn't, you know, and we get on the wrong road or take the wrong turn, it doesn't always, it's not always pretty. <laughs> and so to not only you know live with your spouse but also to work and then race and co-drive that could get a little that could get a little interesting I'm sure so I'm definitely <laughs> gonna have to check her out that sounds yeah you'll cool. you'll have to ask her you know I uh, I never ask them um you know who gives directions when they're just driving to the store yeah. So that'll be good. I'm going. I'm going to have you connect the two of us. That would be awesome. So, um, you know, when you when you go, do you typically go to? I would assume go to the person. You live in LA, so um, the magazine says I we want you to do a story on so and so, and they set up everything and they fly you there. How does that work? 
Yeah, um, there's a lot. I mean, the last few years, obviously, travel and face-to-face -face interviews have been a little bit different. But in general, you know, I'll go to I go to a lot of events, a lot of races, and I'll get to talk to people there. If I'm doing a special feature, maybe we'll set up a time to meet, um, spend some time together. And then with Car and Driver, a lot of it is now is sort of new car related. So it's a lot of designers and engineers and things. So that's often on a press trip where we're driving a new car or I'll go to Detroit, um, meet people there. Okay. So it's, uh, it's all over the place. And, and obviously just tons of phone calls and emails and Zoom calls and stuff. Right. I was going to say, I'm, I'm assuming you do a lot of Zoom calls probably too for interviews nowadays, because isn't that what we all do for sure? <laughs> And interesting that you come to Detroit. I'm just two hours from there. So I live in Kalamazoo, Michigan, part of the year, most of the year. Um, and then, of course, I'm in Surprise for the winter, Surprise, Arizona. But um, that would be awesome. Next time you come to Detroit, maybe we can get together and, and meet face to face. Because I love meeting the women that I interview face to face. And that's that makes it even more special. I would love so, that. That would be great. So now when you, when you write the story, do they typically say to you, we, we want you to do a story on, let's say a, a certain, let's just say a certain driver. And then do you do a lot of research so that you know about the driver so that when you get there, you ask the right questions? Because mm -hmm. isn't that part of being a good interviewer, knowing your person and asking the right questions? Absolutely. Um, in fact, the one thing kind of across the board that I've realized from talking to people, especially someone who's done thousands of interviews, you know, someone like Don Prudhomme or Richard Petty, you know, Shirley, they, there's nothing kind of worse for them than, than someone coming in without any knowledge of what it is that they do and asking questions that are completely irrelevant or questions that they've answered Eight million times. Um, so, you know, you can't always ask a question that, in fact, very rarely can you ask a question that no one's asked before. But, you know, sometimes you can give people a chance to expand on an angle maybe that they, they hadn't talked about before. Um, or you can ask about something that they have talked about a lot, but another detail of it. And, and for sure, doing the research on that, reading reading other interviews, having some idea of the high and low points of their careers and maybe even their personal lives is, is very important. I mean, sometimes you just don't have the time to do as much research as you'd like. Sometimes you just meet somebody. And in those cases, it's just helpful to have read a lot already. So at least I feel like what I try to do is have at least one fact about as many people and cars that, that I can in my head, just one fact, because at least then you could ask about one thing and then hopefully their answer gives you something to build on. Right, exactly. And, <clears throat> you know, just being knowledgeable about what you're doing. And so, you know, it's, it's like if, you know, I'm in the motorsports field, but if I was only reading HGTV or watching HGTV and reading design magazines, then I wouldn't have the background or the knowledge to talk to somebody in motorsports because I'm not immersing myself in it. Whereas because we're passionate about what we do, it doesn't feel like work to read Car and Driver magazine. <laughs> That's in entertainment and enjoyment. 
And then the things that you learn through reading, watching documentaries, going to races, gives you the background so that you really just can talk to someone and feel comfortable because you feel like you really do know enough to do the interview. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's certainly the goal. There have been times where I've ended up, you know, in a surprise interview or I didn't have any prep and then you just, you just muddle your way through. I mean, everyone's a person, right? So right. you can always ask people, where'd you start? Where do you want to go? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And you know, when I, when I set up interviews with people, especially younger girls, they, they're nervous because even like over the weekend, when I was at Coco Paw Speedway in Yuma, I interviewed a couple gals, just a little Facebook, or I recorded it on my phone, you know, and two of them that were actually older of the group that I interviewed had never done an interview before. And they were like, oh, I don't know if I can, <clears throat> excuse me. And I said, we're just going to have a conversation and it's your story. I'm not going to ask you anything you're not going to know because it's about you, you know, so <laughs> you have to make people feel comfortable. And like you said, if you don't know the person, you can always start with kind of like I started with you, even though I do know some things about you. <laughs> yeah, it's, we've been chatting. Tell me, tell me who you are, where you started and why do you love cars? And, and then you just have a conversation. And so um, I think having some knowledge is obviously beneficial, but you can probably, have a conversation with anyone and come out with a good story. Yeah, I mean, I would say if if I was forced to choose, I would mean, hopefully I don't have to, but if I was forced to choose which makes a better interviewer, being a, a curious people person or being a hardcore research person, I would actually say that it would be, if you had to just do one, just going in as a natural person with, I agree. with a desire to know about other people would take you farther than than being just hardcore research. Oh, I absolutely agree because being an interviewer, you have to be a people person. That's to me, that's, you know, to be a good one and to be authentic, come across that you're really interested in the person, because if you're not, it's going to show in the, in the story. Yeah. So tell me the process then you, let's say that I'm a famous race car driver <laughs> and, and we meet and you interview me. And so you, you probably have a set of questions that you're going to ask and then what do, you, what do you do after that? Take, take me from there to publishing the story. Um, all right, well, so I, I'll have my questions. And I would say that in general, my interest, my, my personal interest in anyone who's successful is sort of what, what tried to stop you and how did you get around it? Because there's, there's so many things reasons to not do what you want to do and I'm and when you meet somebody who um who's doing really well at something that is difficult to do well at it it it's really important I think as a lesson to learn how they manage to get there so that's usually something that I try to get in my in my interviews is what you know what obstacles have you overcome to to get here and sometimes you know if they're very young maybe they don't have any yet uh, and that's interesting too, you know, the, mm -hmm. um, but so then I'd get home, I usually record my interviews and take notes because you never know when the recording's not going to work. So right. I usually take notes. I usually <clears throat> try to put a little, like a note of the, I'll keep track of the time on the mm -hmm. interviewer because it'll click 
click through the minutes and I'll, uh, if there's like a really good quote or a really good section, I'll usually mark the time on that one just in case I'm in a hurry and I have to find it again. Um, and then I'll either transcribe it myself or these days I usually use a transcription service because the interviews are long, it takes a long time to transcribe yeah. them. Um, and then, you know, you look through, you look through the interview, you look through your research, you think about um, how you're going to lay it out. You know, sometimes it's a, a big feature where you've done something together and, um, and it's more storytelling with quotes in it. And then other times it's like a straight interview. Um, most recently I interviewed um, Henrik Fisker, the car designer about his new electric vehicle. And so that's just a straight Q and A. Um, so something like that, I would write up a, a small introduction for people who don't know anything about the person. And then you can just trim the questions up, sort of clean them up and, and organize them a little because sometimes you have an interview that just jumps all over the place. And, uh -huh. you know, it's hard for people to read it that way. And it's okay to move things around as long as you're not changing what people are saying. Right. So you've done lots of different kinds of interviews. What's your, what's your favorite? Is it more the Q and A or is it more go do an experience with someone and then write the story? Oh, experience for sure. Um, I mean, it's, you know, it can be challenging cause you don't know, you know, with a Q and A, you almost always are going to have something usable. Um, you know, I've had, um, I think the hardest Q and A I ever had was Bob Glidden. Um, before he passed because you know he doesn't like to answer any questions and that so that was the hardest interview probably just because you know you got a lot of yeses and nos and there's there's not a lot in there but you know but even he got excited when he was talking about some other things he, he was very into parrots by the way they had a lot oh, of big okay. pods um but you know so q a is is simpler to do but when you get to spend time with somebody do you know really fought, like shadowing them while they do what they care about uh, that's just amazing. You, you learn so much about, about them. You get to see how they interact with, with people around them. You see the effect they have on people, which is really interesting. You know, a lot of these folks have just an amazing energy um, that, you know, and that could be, you know, it could be somebody very young. Um, you know, I, uh, I did a, a rally with Shelby Hall, uh -huh. Rod Hall's granddaughter. And you know, she just, she has a real commanding energy, you know, she's, she's got leadership in the way that she presents herself. And it's really interesting to see her, you know, in a group because people really respond to that in a positive way, or, you know, somebody maybe a little bit more famous, you know, Richard Petty, I uh, was once in a, in a group with Richard Petty and the man just exudes calm. It, it's yeah. incredible. It's like you, any tension just fades away and you're like, oh, no wonder they called him the king, right? Like he, yeah. that is the, that is the feeling around him. So you don't really get to, to experience that in just a Q&A, but if you get to spend time with somebody doing things, then it's really neat. And, you know, <clears throat> I mean, I've, I've been at places where Richard Petty's been. I haven't ever had a chance to interview him, but I, even on television, he just has that very like laid back he's not going to get his feathers ruffled in you know about anything and and I do notice that and yet his son to me Kyle is totally the opposite he's <laughs> just like all over the place and I love 
listening to him on, they do some podcasts and things, yeah. but, um, but they're so different, really. Their demeanor is so different, but I can see where being around him, you would just be relaxed. And, and that, that's really cool for someone who really is so well-known in the motorsports field mm-hmm. and, and could, you know, have some, um, you know, outward portrayal of feelings that it's not warm and fuzzy, but he is kind of that way. I've been places where he's signing autographs and it's like he has all the time in the world for those people. He's, he is one of the best with his fans. And, um, and I talked to him about it once because I was, you know, we were just kept getting interrupted by fans and, you know, he's like, look, they, you know, this is who I work for. Right. I don't work for the car companies. I don't work for the, for NASCAR. I work for the fans. So if I don't take the time to appreciate them, then I don't deserve what, what they give me. So I thought that was amazing. Um, He also has the most useful tip. If you do need to get away from, like, if you need to go on to do another task and there are a lot of people around, which is he, uh, you know, people will be talking to him and he'll say, let's walk and talk. And then he'll, you know, he'll start walking and people will kind of patter along for a little while. And then they, you know, they kind of like drift away because they don't really want to like walk the whole way. So I thought that was amazing because it was so polite and it was so effective. (laughs) Absolutely. And, you know, there's a lot of things he could teach some of these younger drivers. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, he, you know, I think he would say too, I mean, any, any of, any of them would probably agree that the, the whole scene has changed a lot, you know? I mean, there are things that are a lot easier for the drivers now, but there are also things that are a lot harder. You know, the the legacy drivers, they didn't have to deal with social media and constant cameras and kind of constant feedback on their performances. Um, I did an interview with Bubba Wallace a few years ago, um, and it was just, it was so interesting because here's this guy who's sort of been thrust into a position, a very important and needed position of kind of representing, you know, racial equality and civil rights. And, you know, he's just a guy who wants to race like the rest of them. Right. You know? And, and, um, and that was sort of something that I think that the drivers in the past mostly didn't deal with so right. much. You know, Willie T. Ribs did obviously. And, um, but even but, Jeff Gordon and even Jimmy Johnson, really, you know, they're more recent drivers than some, but even at that, the social media and those things really weren't as much a part of their lives as now everything, every tweet, every thing that happens, you know, the keyboard crazies have something to <laughs> say about it. And it's so frustrating for me when I see, you know, it's like, they're complaining about the scheme, the the design scheme of the car or whatever. And I'm thinking, you know, do you, can you find anything good to say? Mm-hmm. Why do you have to always nitpick? And it's so frustrating. And of course now, you know, a lot of the big controversy in NASCAR is Brandon Brown. And it's so frustrating for me. I feel so bad for the kid. Yeah. He didn't ask for any of this. He yeah. didn't. He's and just had doing the best he can with it um and you know and I feel it's probably come up when you've interviewed some of the younger women who are racing too um 
I know that it's especially difficult for women because not only do they get all of the same kind of inputs, negative inputs that that the male racers get, but they also get uh, very sexualized um, mm-hmm. and sort of attacked based off of that. Uh, yeah. Whether they're, you know, if they're very pretty, they get comments that they shouldn't be so pretty. If they're yeah. normal, lovely looking people, they get comments that they should be prettier. And I just, I can't imagine trying to keep your head together, focused on winning races and, and doing these incredible tasks while you're also just, you know, a teenager being told you're either too pretty or not pretty enough. Um, you know, I, I talked with Erica Enders about it once before a little bit, cause you know, she's obviously somebody who is incredibly skilled right uh, at, at what she does and has had some challenges getting sponsorship because of not you know meeting certain expectations right right and that's that's so unfair because so many times those women if you interview them and they and you ask them anything about being a woman in motorsports a lot of times what they're going to say is the car doesn't know the difference the motorcycle doesn't know the difference you know, when I get in, I'm just another race car driver. And, and, you know, uh, as a, as a person that really promotes women in motorsports, something that I'm finding even to find um, sponsors, advertisers, etc., for the things that I do, the, the companies that are missing the boat are the companies that gear towards women or, you know, because they look at motorsports and they think, oh, Clairol, why would Clairol want to be part of motorsports? Well, I'll tell you why, because 50% or more of the fans in the stands are women and the buying power in the home tends to be around 90% woman driven. So you, there's, a, there's lots of reasons why Erica and Haley Deegan and all these other women shouldn't have any trouble finding sponsors and yet it's such a struggle and it's just it seems so unfair to me because they're some of the best drivers yeah i mean i i i do feel optimistic though i mean there are so many more women who are racing now um yes. there's so especially like you know younger women um and also there are so many more women who are talking about being fans i mean i don't know if you follow f1 a whole lot but yeah. The the conversation in F1 went from being something where, you know, I knew like five women who cared about F1, you know, they were all fellow car people. And all of a sudden, you know, you can Thousands. go on Twitter and you can see people who have no connection to automotive in any right. other way, talking about the recent F1 race, who they like, who won, why they like it. And I love that. You know, I think that's so great because I think that it really does... Um, it benefits everyone um, yes. and, and it'll benefit the car companies too, because mm-hmm. as you said, you know, not only are women watching motorsports and making buying decisions, they're also buying cars. Yeah. You know, like, like you said, it's, it's an equal split women buy, I think women buy possibly more new cars than men do. Um, they do household stuff. Cause they're a lot of times responsible for the family car. And exactly. I'm sorry. There's a, my husband's phone's going off in the background, but <laughs> I can't do anything about it. 
he's not here and I can't believe he didn't take his phone with him. So I apologize for the, <laughs> for that. Sounds like, there's a, sounds like there's a cow walking by. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we'll pretend there's a cow walking by instead of a phone. He should have, I should have checked that. I'm sorry about that. You know, um, as far as like F1 and IndyCar, it, it, any of those kind of um, motorsports that um, the women are really coming out of the woodwork and following those now. So last year, believe it or not, I, I went to my first IndyCar race. Now I live in Kalamazoo, Michigan, and I used to live in Illinois and I was really close to Indy, like within a few hours, had never, have never been to the Indy 500 but I'm going this year. I already have my tickets. But but last year, my husband and I went to Nashville to the Indy race. And wow, what an experience that was. So cool. And of course, love Nashville anyway. But um, it just get, you know, and then you're like, oh, I know some of these racers. And, and now this one, I bought a t-shirt from this guy because I really liked how he raced. And <laughs> there were there were a lot of women in the grandstands at that race. And so I think every kind of racing is growing as far as the women participating and not just drivers. I interview a lot of people who are engineers or PR or social media, whatever it might be. Women are involved in all aspects of motorsports and it's growing and growing. And, and I'm with you. I'm very optimistic about the future and where it's going. Yeah. Oh, good. Me, me too. And yes, the women engineers, I'm loving seeing every time I see a ponytail uh, in a pit crew, I'm like, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. One of my good friends um, is a tire specialist for a NASCAR team. And she's been with a couple different teams, but um, just love, and she's a little tiny thing and she just throws those tires around, you know, and, you know, like a few years ago, we were in Chicago and it was in the hundreds every day on concrete, which makes it worse. And she was working 12 hour days right alongside the guys. And, you know, that's the part that a lot of people who come to the races don't see. They don't see the behind the scenes, how many hours they work, long hours in the heat you know, and all this. And so I, I try and I, I hope in the future, I'm even better at showing the backside, you know, that people don't always see when they come, they buy a ticket, they sit in the grandstand, they watch the race, they go home. They're missing a lot of what it takes to put that race on. Yeah. Well, there, that's the job for us then. Right. You know, right. Not right. just interviewing drivers, but interviewing engineers and mechanics and truck drivers. There's a lot of people who puts a lot of hours in. Absolutely. So what's your favorite thing about what you do? Oh, that's easy. Um, so my favorite thing about, about what I do now is that it's always different. Every day is different. I remember when I first started working, I mean, you know, really like high school and uh, I would look at the calendar and I'd be like, I know what I'm doing all of these days you know, flip those pages. All, and I would, I would quit whatever I was doing like the next week. Like I just, I couldn't stand having everything just fit into those little squares already locked down. And what I get to do now is, is different every day. I mean, I'm talking to you um, later today. I'm talking to somebody about the creation of the race car bed you know those the plastic race car bed that looked like a mclaren from the 70s yeah. there's a lot of copies now that look more like cars 
well, I mean, it's a fascinating story. I, you know, I'm, I'm, there's one guy invented that. And, um, and so, you know, I'm going to talk about that. And then later I'm going to write up a review of a, of a Supra that I drove. Yesterday I was up in the hills near Ojai, California, which is beautiful. And I was driving, you know, driving new cars. I was driving an Elantra and just cruising around for photos. And then, you know, tomorrow something different altogether. So uh, I think that that is, is just amazing. And then of course, just what I'm able to do, you know, the people who invite me into their shops, into their studios, yeah. the cars I'm allowed to drive, it's astonishing. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I can't even imagine, you know, like to, you think you know what next week looks like and then all of a sudden something exciting comes up and, yeah. and you're off to do whatever. And, and um, that would be so fun. And you have to be a very spontaneous person, I think in some ways, <laughs> to be able to handle all of that. It's good to be able to sort of roll with the punches because yeah, you, you never quite know how it's going to work out, but it's, um, right. Yeah, uh, it's always, so, it's always interesting. So what's your goal for the future? If you, you know, maybe this is your dream job or if, if you had, you know, what, what's your goal down the road? To, where do you see yourself in five or 10 years? <laughs> well, as you may have guessed from the previous answer, I don't really do a whole lot of planning for, <laughs> for very far ahead. So, um, I mean, I'm hoping that I am still doing something very similar to what I'm doing now. I, I really love it. I think there's a lot more to be done. Um, I enjoy when I have a chance to help other people get started uh, in this. You know, people sometimes ask me, well, how do I do what you do? Um, mm -hmm. Well, read a lot and start writing. Um, I, uh, I enjoy doing video stuff as well. So, and that's a, a medium that I think is really growing for, for a lot of us journalists to be able to start telling our stories via video. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I'd like to be doing a little bit more of that down the road, but, um, you know, more cars, more people, you know, maybe, maybe write another book. I, I don't know. Interesting. You have a lot of possibilities at your fingertips, right? There's, you know, the cars aren't going away. Motorsports is here to stay regardless of what everybody says <laughs> or people, the negative Nellies, you know, um, there's the car manufacturers are going to keep creating new and interesting cars with new and better features. You know, I have a, I have a Dodge Rebel truck. It's my truck. And people look at it and they say to my husband, oh, I like your truck. And he'll be the first one to say, oh, this is my wife's truck. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, the, the features on it and the things it does, and it's so comfortable to drive. And I, I love my truck. And, and, you know, they just keep making things better and, and nicer and, and um, the car companies, I, I can't imagine working there and trying to think what's the next new thing, because it seems like they've got them all on there, but um, fun things. Yeah. Well, they always, they always come up with something new and um, you know, the stuff moves from luxury cars down to more affordable cars. I mean, you know, things like heated seats you can get in, you know, in almost anything now. And, oh, they're really nice. They're perfect. They are. I, mean, I, 
I drove classics for so long uh, that when I first started writing about new cars, I was just impressed by anything. I'd be like, oh my God, the defroster works. Have you seen the defroster? It works. It's great. You know, uh-huh. <laughs> things yeah. started, the defroster works. You know, um, um, I had a Lincoln, which was an amazing car and it had heated and cooled seats. Now the cooling part, I didn't use as much. And of course I lived in Michigan at the time. So we did, I did use the heated seats all the time. But I have an older Honda CRV that we pull behind our motorhome when we come to Arizona. And it's a great car. I love my Honda, but it's older and it does not have the heated seats. <laughs> and I said to my husband, we were on a trip recently because I like to have that heat on my back, even you know when it's warm out. I said, is there a way I could plug a heating pad or something <laughs> into this car? Because I miss my heated seats. And he just laughed, you know, but um, yeah, it's, it's a good industry to be in. It's always developing and changing and to be a part of it is pretty exciting, isn't it? Absolutely. I, uh, I feel lucky every day. I really do. Yeah, absolutely. Well, is there anything that I haven't asked you about that you'd like to share? about yourself, what you do, anything at all? I mean, you are clearly a very experienced interviewer because, um, you know, I don't think that you've missed anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I owned a weekly newspaper for 10 years, quite some years ago. And my most favorite thing was writing human interest stories. And I, it was a little weekly newspaper called the Eagle News because we, I lived right along the Mississippi River and it was the winter nesting ground of the American bald eagle. So it was called the Eagle News and the tagline was the good newspaper <laughs> because we didn't print the court reports and, and all the negative, you know, it was a weekly newspaper and we focused on the good in our community. And, and I, I loved that part of it. And I've kind of transitioned that into my online magazine that I do about women in motorsports and the podcast. I want to know the good. <laughs> yeah, I think that's wonderful. And, you know, and again, like that, that kind of is, it's all right there when you're covering motorsports and cars, and especially when you're covering, you know, uh, women coming into car stuff, because it's all good news. <laughs> you know, if, we're, if there's more women, then that's good news. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Elena, I've really enjoyed talking with you. I know we, we've tried to do this for a while, and I'm glad we finally were able to connect today and, and share your story, and hopefully more women are going to be reading Car and Driver now because they know <laughs> you and they know what you write about, and so um, I, I've really enjoyed um, speaking with you today, and hopefully when you get to Detroit or somewhere else close that we could get together, I would love to meet you in person. Oh, well, likewise, thank you so much. I am honored to be amongst the group that you have previously interviewed. So um, it's good company and uh, I hope I'll get to see you in person this year. All right, thank you so much.